Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. Let me tell you what we're going to do on the show today. We're going to just dig down in our souls and talk about a movie called A Star is Born. And it's a, a movie where Bradley Cooper talks like this, and then it turns out his brother is Sam Elliott, who also talks like this. And if you go see this movie, if you go see it, you're going to start talking like this. I know I've been talking like this, and it's not wearing that well with the other person in the house currently. Uh, but anyway, uh, A Star is Born is a movie that everybody's going to see. It's Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper, as I pointed out. We're, we have musicians here to talk today about the musical part of this movie, which is about two very different kinds of rock stars and their ill-starred love. And we'll also be talking to a film critic about it. We'll be making some recommendations. We'll be teaching you how to do a Bradley Cooper impersonation. So much fun waiting for you. Coming up right after the news. Hi, welcome to Random Diner. Can I take your order? I'll have the booze and pills special. All right, that comes with a choice of two sides. Can I have a side of booze and a side of pills? No, but I could drizzle some booze on your curly fries, and then I could throw some pills in your coleslaw. Well, that sounds pretty good. Hey, do you ever write your own songs? Well, yeah, I I do. How, How come you ask that? It's just a question I ask every single person I meet. Sing me one. I don't sing my songs. People always say that they like my music, but they don't like my forehead. I've been looking at your forehead all night. I like it. It's just, my daddy was a Klingon man, but he didn't stick around, and I got his forehead. Sing me one of them songs. But my songs are Klingon, like my daddy. I I usually play the Yarg. Uh, It's an instrument that's made out of the bones and tendons of the vanquished. Just sing it. Maybe I'll harmonize. Bachta, Dumpa, Dinka, Banta, I like that. Can I touch your forehead? No! Oh, it was going so nicely, and then you made it weird. Get out of here, you filthy creep! Meanwhile, here's a show that's not quite exactly the nose. Let's call it the septum. We're talking about the fourth version of A Star is Born. And now he appeared in the version with Miss Piggy and Animal, Colin McEnroe. Let's do it. All right, that's the uh, music uh, that you hear in the movie A Star is Born. 
We want to talk about this movie. It is, of course, the fourth iteration uh, of the A Star is Born concept. Uh, and we can talk a little bit about the history of that as we go along. We thought it made sense because this is very much a movie about music and about musicians, about songwriters, to have people who were musicians and songwriters. So in the studio you know, for like the eighth time this week, uh, Jim Chapdelaine, uh, who is uh, our returning champion, he was on yesterday's uh, um, episode. He's an award, Emmy award-winning musician, producer, composer, recording engineer, patient advocate for people with rare cancers. Lara Herskovich, a singer, songwriter, poet, performer, and social worker, uh, former state troubadour as well. Her next Connecticut gig with her new backing band, The Highway Philosophers, is November 2nd at First Presbyterian Church Hall in New Haven. More in, uh, info at ctfolk.com. And so let's see. Uh, and also joining us is, is David Sims, a staff writer at The Atlantic and co-host of the Audio Boom movie <clears throat> podcast, Blank Check, with Griffin and David. He's the David. All right. So uh, enough introductions. I, I think maybe just I want to go um, around the table a little bit, uh, metaphorically speaking, and just kind of I mean, I actually know what everybody thought of this, but let's let the audience hear what everybody uh, thought about this. Jim, I'm going to start with you. This is you said this is a movie that without being prompted to by, say, the demands of this particular radio show or something similar, you might not have gone to see. I, I think that's fair to say that I definitely would not have seen it. Uh, I was really pleasantly surprised by this movie <laughs> and, in fact, might even cry right now mm -hmm. talking about it. Um, yeah, it completely took me by surprise. Like all the movies that we see on the show, I didn't read anything about it, so I had no idea. I just knew who was in it. Um, and I actually really loved it. I know it kind of the end is a little less satisfying than it might have been, but they had to adhere to a, you know, a script that was written by Plato. I think wrote the original. <laughs> right. So uh, I, I really, really like this movie. Um, if if despite the little plot, little uh, shortcomings, it's emotionally very satisfying. All right. So uh, Lara, um, you're going to say something. <laughs> Similar, I happen to know. But yeah, give us give us your take on this. I could surprise you and just say that I wasn't telling the truth in all the previous okay. emails. But I went into this movie. I'm the only person I know who actually didn't know the plot line. I thought for sure I was completely confident. I went in, thought, oh, of course, this is just part of the cultural DNA. Of course, I know this story. Like, ho-hum, fine, I'll go see it. And I was completely surprised by the whole thing. I, I loved it. I reacted to it deeply um, emotionally. And I also reacted deeply musically and as an artist. Um, so, yeah, I um, I would recommend it. Um, I agree with all of the rave reviews that have been shared online. The Guardian called it um, outrageously watchable, and that's how I felt as well. I'm for sure going to go see it again. The, my first viewing, I watched it as a musician, and so I'm looking for technical issues and thinking, wow, that's a beautiful melody line, and wow, that's a really interesting way to sing and jump to a chorus and so on. I'm looking forward to going back just as, you know, Sitting in the back with a with a box of Kleenex and, and letting myself go there emotionally. Well, and we should say one of the reasons that I thought it would be interesting to have you guys on too is um, it, it's interesting to hear how musicians react to a movie about musicians, and we can get into kind of nitpicky stuff. But basically, I think it kind of rang true for you, and uh, at least the overall thrust of the movie. It didn't you were, you musicians were not sitting there going, "Well, that's not how it, that is. That's nothing like that." It rang very true to me. There were lots of characters in the film that felt very familiar that I felt like I've absolutely worked with folks who struggle with addiction and, and alcoholism and so on. And um, I loved what it had to say about 
valuing being a creator and valuing chasing a dream. And I feel like um, it, it showed great respect and love for music. So I didn't feel I was worried that it was going to use music and career and that kind of dream chasing as uh, to, to sort of support the, the love story plot. And I felt like music really got a lot of respect as an art form in and of itself in a way that our culture has forgotten a little bit. So, David Sims, I think it's fair to call this film a melodrama, although we might then plunge into a conversation about that, what that word, which is kind of loaded up with some negative connotations, what that word really means. But this is a movie that appeals in a very profound way to emotions, maybe in in a way that we're less familiar with unless we're watching like a Nicholas Sparks movie or some, you know, YA movie about somebody with a terminal disease or something like that. I mean, in a way, it's unusual to see a movie with adults stars that's so melodramatic. Right. I mean, this used to be Hollywood stock and trade, the the, the romantic drama, the big sort of swooning epic, which is, as you guys were saying, you know, the stars born is a very old Hollywood movie. It's a very old Hollywood story. It's been revived, you know, every few decades. But now, right, you you would think of this as the the provenance of like the sort of, yeah, cheap, YA, weepy kind of movie that's just sort of looking to get you crying as fast as possible. And, you know, this is a film that's trying to be more authentic, a little more human, uh, and and dig in with its two leads rather than just have them be these sort of swoony archetypes that fall in love and then tragedy awaits around the corner. It's a great movie. I, I, I went in knowing the the old story and having seen the old films, and it's for as a debut film from, a, a you know, an actor who's turned director. Like, I was sort of just astonished at how confident it is in terms of how he tells the story and how he gets you into those characters. Right. He certainly moves the camera around in really interesting ways and uh, really yeah. gives us a, a, a sense. So let's have the whole panel talk a little bit about these two leads. Uh, we'll start with Bradley Cooper. I just want to say... I eventually have some things to say about this movie. I'm going to be the skunk at the bar- garden party just to keep it interesting. But um, but Bradley Cooper, this guy is so versatile. I mean, he is uh, an American sniper. Uh, he's the guy fresh out of the mental hospital in Silver Linings playbook. He's a raccoon in the Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy series. And now he's this guy. He's an, actually, well, if we, let's just hear uh, A1 so you hear a little bit of uh, this you're going to hear Jackson Maine, uh, the character played by Bradley Cooper, and Allie, uh, the character played by Lady Gaga, as they meet cute. Can I ask you a personal question? Do you write songs or anything? I don't sing my own songs. Why? I just, I just don't feel comfortable. Why wouldn't you feel comfortable? Well, because like almost every single person that I've come in contact with in the music industry has told me that my nose is too big and that I won't make it. Your nose is beautiful. Are you showing me your nose right now? Yeah. You don't have to show it to me. I've been looking at it all night. Oh, come on. Oh, I'm going to no, be thinking not. about your nose for a very you're long time. You're full of shit. I'm not full of shit. I'm telling you the truth. Yeah, you're full of shit. Can I touch your nose? Oh, my gosh. Let me just touch it for a second. <laughs> oh, I feel like I'm dying. You're very lucky. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, not really. That my nose has not made me lucky. All right. So uh, I at some point said, well, you should have seen Barbara Streisand's nose when she played this role. You know, you shouldn't feel so bad about yourself. So, um, so Jim, um, Bradley Cooper playing a guitar hero. You're a guitar hero. Um, tell me a little bit about how his acting landed for you. Um, it, 
I, I'm sort of astounded by him on this. I, I watched his clip last night on Jimmy Fallon, and his real voice is sort of up here like this. Yeah. And and you hear that clip just now. Somehow he's way down here talking like Sam Elliott the whole time. Um, it, he really kind of inhabited the character. Uh, you get you, There's a bunch of cues in just that little thing we just heard. Um where he where he where he's headed on the outbound train, and one of them is just playing the Almond Brothers in the back, which mm. sort of tells us a little bit about where his music theoretically comes from. I guess it would be some sort of outlaw country thing. My theory is, as you know, that he's <clears throat> Waylon Clapton, basically. A little like, bit, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Somehow he elevated it to uh, not quite stadium level, but stardom level, and, and I think he's pretty authentic in this. And the only the only little technical tell for me is he definitely was not playing the guitar, but he was pretty close to playing the guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, as a person who mixes uh, television concerts for PBS, I can tell when it's not real because I'm the one who makes it not real. <laughs> uh, so, so there was a few little things like that, but boy, I, I really uh, I thought he was great. Yeah. What about you, Lara? Part of what I think really works about this film is that it's part concert, and I feel like um, culturally we have forgotten the power of a song, whether you love all of the lyrics or whether they're not quite there, um, that it forces the audience to sit there and, and listen to a song that he, in my opinion, is delivering, I agree with what Jim said, with great authenticity. I found it, I believed it, and that's that's feels like all I really need to say. I feel like his his performance was honest and just very straightforward. It was it was on the I don't want to call it simple in a way that's diminishing the talent of his acting, but I'm but it's his musical presentation was straightforward in a way that I felt like, you know, I could be at a folk, uh, international folk alliance conference and and walk into one of the showcase rooms and he could be there presenting a song. So I found it very captivating and I felt like he brought a good vulnerability into into the strength at the same time. You know, David Sims, you and I both see a lot of movies. Um, I've seen a lot of Bradley Cooper movies. I can't really think of a role that would have prepared me for this guy that he is. Yeah, the closest is American Sniper, but that's, you know, in which he's also a little gravelly, but that that's that's a man who's uh, very locked up and sort of, uh, you know, uh, hard to, inscrutable and hard to understand, whereas this is, I mean, there's there's a lot of humor in in the way he plays Jackson, even though he's also at, at, at all times in a bit of a haze. The questions he asks, the scene we just listened to where he touches Allie on the nose in this sort of like surprising, like sort of intimate, like uh, violation of her space. Like uh, there's like a playfulness, but then also, yeah, you never you never think the guy isn't. What we're supposed, you know, he's he's extremely earthy in in, in a way that feels uh, maybe a little practiced, and and the movie digs into that. But still, uh, you never think like, ah, this is just Bradley Cooper doing a voice. And we've only got a couple of minutes before we have to take a break here, but um, I just want to get maybe quick evaluations of, of Lady Gaga, who's done obviously less acting. She's been in American Horror Story, but that's about it. Uh, I'll start with you, Lara. How'd she do? Well. Uh... I mean, the woman can sing. Like, let's just start there. I felt, um, and again, I need to go back and just watch it as a as a regular movie goer. I was I was sitting in her audience, feeling like I was in a little bit of a master class of singing. It was really refreshing to hear her on 
like singer-songwriter material. Mm. Um, I'm not, I, I like pop music. I don't follow her in her pop music career. Um, so in a way, I was being introduced to her and to hear that kind of voice and that kind of range and versatility. Mm. I, I know not everybody agrees with that point. Um, I asked on Facebook for some feedback and got, you know, some mixed reviews. But I think, you know, 98% of viewers are really just amazed at her um, at her performance here. And, and I agree. I, I learned a lot about her choice of melody and um, the way she went there. Jimmy, Jim, give me a 30 seconds on Gaga as an actor. Uh, super vulnerable and seemed like she just jumped in, dare I say it, to the deep end. Um, <laughs> I, I really was moved by her. I, I, in fact, I'd say she acted more or better. I don't know what the word is. I, I don't know what the right – I was more affected by her than Bradley Cooper. Hmm. And you, David Sims, there's a way in which I think when somebody's out there for the first time and not playing some kind of into some kind of stock role, uh, an easier role to inhabit like American Horror Story, we're looking for whether they're kind of present in these scenes and can they pull off the emotional valences of these scenes. I thought she really did a, a, a remarkable job. Yeah, I mean, Cooper wants the cameras in everyone's faces all the time in this movie and she's up to it her eyes are extremely expressive like as she's you can see her trying to figure out how on the level this guy is in the in the first half of the movie and then figure out how messed up he is in the second half of the movie and it could feel gimmicky to have lady gaga who's this as a pop star is full of artifice and like you know intentionally so uh, have her just playing like a regular gal, but it never feels gimmicky. It just, you know, she feels very much uh, a person who is sort of like, you know, clawing her way into getting her voice out there wherever she can. All right, we're going to take a quick break here. Let's uh, bring up some music from the movie here. Uh, we're going to come back with a different conversation about a different aspect of the movie. Uh, I may get to be my skunk at, in the garden party persona uh, there. Uh, but right now, people are going to come and they're going to ask you to support this show. It's the last day of what I know has been a somewhat long and patience-trying fun drive. But uh, we're here at the end, uh, and we would love it if you would support the show. It means a lot. It means a lot to our destiny as a show if your support comes in while we're on the air. So uh, really nice people uh, are going to ask you to step up and do that. As we say, last day, everything's back to normal next week. Uh, but meanwhile, when we come back, we'll have more to say about A Star is Born.
So, so that, of course, is Lady Gaga, and before that, Bradley Cooper uh, singing one of the two or three real signature songs. This is probably the signature song from A Star is Born. Uh, with me to talk about this movie is uh, Jim Chapdelaine, Emmy Award-winning musician, producer, composer, recording engineer, patient advocate for people with rare cancers. Lara Herskovich is a singer, songwriter, poet, performer, social worker, and she's doing a confidence, courage, and creativity workshop at the Omega Conference next weekend. Uh, so uh, find out more about that at eomega.org. Uh, with us also, David Sims, a staff writer for The Atlantic and the co-host of Audio Boom's movie podcast, Blank Check, with Griffin and David. He would be the David. So um, this movie, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the role of music in this movie. Um, and so, um, David, I'm going to start with you. So uh, we're not going to do any spoilers here. We're not going to tell you anything that wouldn't be pretty obvious or would ruin the movie for you. But it's important to sort of talk about what does happen here, and it's very much the arc of the three preceding movies, which is that uh, Bradley Cooper discovers uh, this young woman, this unsung, unheralded uh, young woman. Uh, he begins to groom her and cultivate her, mostly to do the kind of music that he likes, which is sort of a kind of hard rock cum Americana uh, music, uh, little, of, little of each, um, uh, but very plain spoken and one where you really have to dig down into your soul uh, to, you know, figure out what you got to say. Uh, and she immediately is snatched up. She becomes a YouTube sensation, and then she's snatched up by this producer who appears to be the demon spawn of Simon Cowell, uh, who suddenly is very into the five, six, seven, eight, kick, turn, kick, turn, backup dancers pop. Uh, her hair turns the color of uh, Mila Jovovich's in Fifth Element. Uh, she's just uh, singing a very different kind of music. And, and so... I want to ask all of you about this. I found the music, the movie, a little bit ambivalent about this. I mean, you're sort of seeing Stephanie turn into Lady Gaga, uh, and and it is presented to us sort of as maybe not a great thing. But I, I felt like the movie, in a way, didn't entirely choose a side about that. But David Sims, how did that work for you? It worked for me because the the Star Is Born narrative is usually very simplistic. Like you say, it's sort of like. Uh, fame corrupts, you know, and, you know, once you're at the top, there's, you know, only one way is down and all of that. And and this feels a little, it felt a little more personal in that the, the connection between them is is creative uh, as as they meet. Uh, they, they're sort of impressed by each other's songwriting and they, they, they link up and they start writing these songs that are sort of about each other and things like that. And then, yeah, Ali, Ali is sort of uh, the, the famous enough to be catapulted into the big leagues, and with that comes all of the you know, with comes dancers and comes a look and comes music videos and all that stuff. And I don't think the movie is really opposed to that. It, Jackson Jackson is sort of a little horrified by it, but I think the movie has some necessary perspective on how you know ja Jackson sort of has limited himself in terms of. Uh, how he views, you know, how, like you say, you got to lay it on the line if you're a great artist and you got to dig deep and 
that's the only way to be, you know, living your truth. And there's something pure and there's something admirable about that, I suppose. But it's, it's also, you know, it's a little limiting and it'll get you in trouble eventually. Right. Uh, particularly if you had booze and pills. But um, sure. but so, yeah, Lara, what about this? I mean, one, this movie is accused of being of having been rockist. In other words, having uh, in an almost prejudiced way favored rock over pop. I didn't really see it that way because ultimately she doesn't make a choice back the other way. I, I don't think I'm spoiling anything by saying there's. it's not really indicated uh, toward the end of the movie that she has forsaken the demon spawn of Simon Cowell or anything like that. She's still kind of who she has been turned into. Yeah, I, uh, I don't, I don't, I didn't, it didn't land on me as rockist, but it might have landed on me, and I would actually agree um, that it's meaningist if there if there were such a thing. <laughs> so the main character, you know, Bradley Cooper's character <clears throat> Jackson, you know, as as you all have said, is is all about music with meaning, and for sure the themes of the movie are about belonging and finding home and finding love and the struggle and the vulnerability and chasing a dream and and life. Dave Chappelle has this great line. Um, you know, we go through life sailing, looking for ports, and we visit the ports, and there's, you know, thousands more to go. And then finally, one day you find one, and you don't care about all the other ports because you have found home. And so for for that character, and I'm in New American Folk Music, so we also are on this side of this debate. Um, you know, I'm partial to music with meaning. I'm a lyrics first listener. I don't, I didn't see Jackson's character having any trouble with pop music per se until Allie, the, Allie, uh, Lady Gaga's character makes a decision to let go of that meaning. Right. And so, Jim, I mean, there is there is one moment where the movie does put its thumb on the scale, and that's when she uh, has her unveiling at Saturday Night Live. And she sings a song that's sort of about butts, basically, about <laughs> butts in a very positive but not particularly thoughtful or deep way. I don't think she'd reach way deep into her soul for this song about butts. Um, and, and at that point, there's a way in which you can sort of see Jackson's horror at what Ali is turning into. But I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I found the movie didn't ultimately decide the big question that it asked. Yeah, I don't think it it, it did either. Um, I, I, you know, it's. I will say that I favor one type of music over the other. Right. Um, and maybe by virtue of how old we are, uh, that it's it's hard to say like, oh, I love a music that's made by twelve producers and seven writers, and then the singer just come, like, did she even write the butt song? Uh, Diane Warren, <clears throat> who's like a crafter of many gigantic pop hits, was one of the seven or eight. Uh, I, there's a lot of credits on yeah, a lot the of these. Right. Not so, clear. so in, in the film, though, is, oh, in the film, is that her in the reality of the film. Oh, that's not so. We clear. don't even know that. Yeah. So typically, somebody would be funneled into that machine, yeah. and they would be assigned. You know, if you look at uh, the the schematic of a Beyonce hit. There's a producer, then there's a virtual instrument producer, there's a real instrument producer, there's two or three vocal producers, one who's just tuning. One, and Beyonce doesn't need all that, but that's the machinery. Mm. So I guess what you, what they're showing us is the machinery, and I almost feel like the music on either side of this equation, although there's some good songs, is ultimately sort of generic and in service to the acting or to the singers more than it is even about the actual music. 
Right. Although I think, I, I, even though <laughs> I have more reservations about this movie than any of you, there are some sort of songs that have stayed with me. No doubt. No right. doubt. You, and uh, you played a couple of them. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, and I apologize for leaping ahead towards this. There's so many things we could talk about, and we have kind of a foreshortened show. Uh, but uh, I would just, as we sort of, this movie is out there as Oscar bait. You know, it's out there, it's dropped in October, which is not when you typically drop Oscar bait movies, but it has less to compete with. It's not competing very well with Venom. Uh, but uh, it's competing well with everything else, and there's a couple of other big movies coming out this weekend. But I guess David Sims, you know, I look at this movie, and it really is melodrama, and it's meant to activate our emotions probably more powerfully than our thought processes. It's why when I start overthinking this movie, which I do with everything, I start running into some walls. But I guess I sort of wonder, you know, when we look at it as a piece of art, it's it's hard to do that, you know, and, and, and maybe contrast it with some of the other movies that will be up for awards this time, but where are you placing this, both as a movie and maybe some of the performances too? Uh, in terms of the Oscar race, I mean, this is, a, it looks like it's going to be that rare kind of Hollywood crossover success that the Oscars just eat up with a knife and fork, which is, it's going to make a lot of money. Uh, yes, it opened below Venom, but it, all signs point to it. It's going to sort of feast for the next couple months. It'll it'll have a, be a, sort of a word of mouth thing where people kind of feel like they have to go see it, and it's going to make plenty of money for what is a, an R-rated romantic drama. And uh, it's got these big, you know, meaty acting performances. It's uh, very technically accomplished. It's a it's a beautifully shot movie. All this stuff. And it's critically acclaimed. It's gotten great reviews. It played at the Venice Film Festival and the Toronto Film Festival, and it did very well there. Like, it's sort of that kind of four quadrant Oscar movie that I would assume will be the front runner for uh, plenty of major awards, including Best Picture. They, more than anything, Oscar voters love movies about the creative process and <laughs> making art and how important it is and how it's more important than anything else, and that's why. Movies like The Artist and uh, Argo and Birdman, these movies that maybe they, they, none of those were as big as a hit as this, this is going to be, they they perform so well at the Academy Awards. Right. So, uh, Laura, I think he's making a really interesting point, mm -hmm. and, and it, it tracks mm -hmm. pretty closely with what you've been saying, which is, you know, we can say this is a melodrama, and that it's about people with a very complicated emotional set of problems, and these things play out in a very raw not terribly subtle way. On the other hand, to whatever extent it's about making art, mm -hmm. it, there's another defense of this movie. Oh, yes. And part of why I love this movie, even if, even if I didn't like this movie, I would love this movie because this movie, in my opinion, has a point of view that making, creating artistic production of whatever kind matters. Um, and I think it's it's one of the things that our culture has forgotten. We create as little kids freely and courageously. And then as we go through life, adults forget that. And I can't tell you how many conversations I end up in after concerts with someone who will come to me and say, gosh, you look happy doing that. I used to paint. I used to play. I used to write. And, you know, I ask, are you doing it now? And they'll say, no, why not? Well, you know, life. Mm -hmm. And so I love this movie because, and I, and I think that's part of why, why it resonates. Um, we're not doing as much of that as a culture as would be healthy to be a fully happy human being, in in my opinion. So you actually say to these people, you ever write songs of your own? Sometimes <laughs> I do, you know? Do you ever touch their nose? <laughs> no, don't touch their nose. I noses. haven't touched anybody's no, nose like yet. like we're in the whole Me Too period. You can touch people's noses. All right, that's good all to know. All right, Jimmy, yeah, as an artistic achievement, if we can kind of get past our own reactions to it, where does this land for you? 
Um, I, I think it lands pretty high uh, when you factor in that Bradley Cooper directed it and I think partially wrote the script or and shepherded this from beginning to end. It's a pretty impressive project. And, and for that, I would go to a movie like this normally, and I know I'm actually talking about my reaction now, which is a not it's an evasive answer. Um, I was raised by an Irish mother, and you were we were told to cry when somebody was dead or you had a broken bone, and bone is showing. And uh, so I'm I'm a little bit uh, constricted that way, but I kind of was teary eyed through a lot of this movie. So for that to to carve through me. And to know that I'm looking for shortcomings because we're going to talk about this movie. It sort of blew all that stuff away and I just got to experience the movie the way it was intended. So I think it's a pretty high artistic achievement. Um, I, I just do want to say, because I didn't say it the whole, I thought the first 45 minutes, 60 or 60 minutes of this movie were riveting. Uh, and I thought uh, Lady Gaga was especially and exceptionally beautiful and fascinating to look at in her kind of unmade up, untinted hair uh, version. And, and I thought the, 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 these moments where, you know, she's brought onto the stage with no warning whatsoever to sing and just has this electrifying moment of self-discovery and being discovered all at once, that gave me chills. I do think, for me anyway, the second half of this movie, it starts to plot, it starts to wander. It's a little less certain, to my way of thinking anyway, of what kind of story it wants to tell. I think that in my in my eyes, it hurts that movie a little bit. However, I totally agree that it's going to be all kinds of Oscar nominations. And I want you all just to prepare yourself. I want you to get used to saying these words because these words, it's possible that these words are, are going to happen. Oscar nominee Andrew Dice Clay. Think about what kind of universe that means we're in. All right, we have to take a quick break. Quick break is possible. And then we'll come back. Maybe it's time to let the old ways die. Maybe it's time to let the old ways die. It takes a lot to change your plans, hell, a train to change your mind. Maybe it's time to let the old ways die Oh, maybe it's time to let the old ways die I thought I Just Want to Look at You One More Time was the sequel to I Know What You Did Last Summer. Today's show was produced by me, Kyone Wolf, and Jonathan McPants who realize that if he doesn't dig down into his pants, he won't have legs. I'm not sure what that means. I haven't seen the movie yet. Our intern, Panina Beatty, says all we got to do is trust her. The part of Bill Curry was played by James Mason. On Monday's show, the scramble tackles election security. And now, back to Colin. All right, so what we're going to do now, it's an idea that we stole a long time ago from our friends at the Culture Gab Fest. And speaking of friends, I want to say, uh, this is an unusual uh, lineup today in that Lara Herskovich and Jim Chapterlane were both they haven't only just been on my show since it went on the air here more than nine years ago. They were on my old show on WTIC. So these are these are longtime uh, friends. It's great. To, and I've never had them on the air together, I don't think. So it's been really fun. Also fun to get to know David Sims. Anyway, this is a, a, a moment where we recommend or endorse things. Uh, Lara, I'm going to have you get us started. Mm. And uh, there's a, uh, we'll see a clip that goes with this. So I'll... Uh, there's a clip that goes with this endorsement. Do you see that there? It's C1. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. So uh, here we go. Lara, what are you going to recommend? Mm, thank you. There's a line in this film that goes along the lines of all any artist can do is their take on the 12 notes. There's only 12 notes. So one of my first recommendation is find your find your take on the 12 notes, whether it's whatever creative art form you 
uh, feel in your heart to pursue, please pursue it. Uh, there's a book along those lines that is quite old and still just as relevant and beautiful called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. Uh, check that out. Second recommendation, go see live music. One of the things that this film reminds, I think, all of us is the power of beautiful production, the community around uh, music. So go check out so many amazing, you know, new American folk artists, Peter Mulvey, John Gorka, Laurie, Ma- Laurie McKenna, Dar Williams, Cliff Eberhardt. I could go on and on. I need a week to make this recommendation, uh, this endorsement rather. Um, let's see. Last endorsement is uh, if we're talking about the ambivalence of pop music and the butt song at this on the scene of Saturday Night Live, I will recommend a pop song that I am just really resonating with right now by James Bay that it's a good example of a good pop song that helps me feel like I'm not alone and gives me hope. It's called Us. Sometimes I'm beaten Sometimes I'm broke Cause sometimes this shit is nothing but smoke Is there a sea? Is there a cold? And they make it bad Cause I'm losing hope Tell me how to be in this world Tell me how to breathe in a fear more Tell me how cause I believe in something I All right, let's move on to uh, David Sims. What have you got for us? Uh, well, my big recommendation is a movie coming out this week. We're talking about the Oscar race, uh, First Man, Damien Chazelle's new movie, which is um, about Neil Armstrong and the Apollo space program, uh, is coming out today uh, nationwide. I think it's a you know big wide release and. Um, it's sort of a confounding movie. It's kind of a fascinating movie. It's not really what I expected of it. Um, it's about, you know, how inscrutable uh, Armstrong was as a person, even to his family, even to his closest friends, as he went through this process. And it's about the sort of, like, sheer insanity of the space program and what our country embarked on because Chazelle really wants you to feel like you're rattling around in that cockpit when they're in there. Like he wants you to feel like how tenuous everything was. And uh, he wants you to feel sort of claustrophobic and and shaken up so that whenever they do get to the moon, because uh, spoiler alert, Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. No. Uh, yeah, I know. I, I hate to break it to you. Um, if you believe you know, that, that theory. He, well, sure. He doesn't <laughs> dig into that. Um, uh, you know, he wants he wants that to land with with all the more uh, power. And uh, you know, he's Chazelle's a young director. He's obviously he's already made films that have had a lot of impact. Whiplash and La La Land. I like this a lot more than either of those, and I, I didn't mind those movies. I sort of was mixed on them. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, there's a lot of maturity here to tackling one of the sort of big American mythic stories right, with so, a lot of unromanticism. So, land, I see what you did there. Um, so, David Sims, by the way, a podcast a host of Blank Check with Griffin and David. It's a really fun movie podcast with, that I just Thank discovered, you. and I'm really enjoying that. So, Jim Chapdelaine, I can give you a, a minute or more. I, I don't even need it. Um, okay. I'm going to recommend the new documentary on the life of Quincy Jones on Netflix, which, you know, he's like. If Zelig was super talented, he's everywhere from with Charlie Parker to Miles Davis to Ray Charles to Michael Jackson. Uh, it goes, it goes, it goes. He's really amazing and he's flawed and um, it sort of sheds a little light on his recent uh, 
uh, interview that we talked about a while back. And uh, and then we were thinking about music here, and uh, it occurred to me some somewhere in the 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 vein of the music this is the, that this film draws from. Part of it is a, a little Laura Nero thing, mm-hmm. and so I started listening to her the other day. And it, I would recommend everybody who's a songwriter go back and listen to Laura Nero and pick any song. Uh, and, and if you're a listener, pick all of the songs. Right. Listen to her own version of Going to Take a Miracle, uh, which is completely amazing. Uh, all right. So that's a great recommendations. Uh, Jim's great band, the Shinolas, is uh, October 30th. Where are you guys playing? The Main Pub in Manchester. All right. And uh, next week, by the way, we're live at the Study Hotel in New Haven. Ooh, we got an all-star lineup. Lucy Gelman, uh, Sean Murray, and Mark Oppenheimer. Uh, and so join us. You can physically join us there in that lobby. Um, so at a certain point during the movie, A Star is Born, you can bring up the music. Bring it up right now. Uh, uh, there's a, a rendition of Pretty Woman uh, by a male vocalist, and then this woman steps out on stage to sing along. And I looked and I went, is that Brandy Carlisle? And it is Brandy Carlisle, and she is an amazing singer. This is a much more big, pumped-up uh, power ballad than you typically hear her sing. Uh, it's called The Joke, and it's kind of turned into an anthem, a kind of anti-bullying anthem. But we'll just end with it. But check out Brandy Carlisle. Go deep into the catalog. You're going to find some uh, pretty amazing stuff. 